Hope Church. But anyway, Matthew chapter 7, uh, this morning we'll pick up in verse 7, and uh, we'll continue in this message, this awesome message that Jesus gives that is uh, so incredibly important for each one of our lives. Uh, just as a reminder, you know, Jesus is really laying out his expectations for how his disciples are to live. Um, and, and we shouldn't look at it as any less than that. Jesus is being very practical in his message, and he actually wants us to do what he says. And he wants us to build his life on that. Now, that may sound um, obvious, but sometimes we need to be reminded of the obvious. Um, sometimes we can just you know, take these words and be like, oh, well, that was nice. Good message, Jesus. Bravo. And move on. But no, it's like you're supposed to give deep contemplation to what Jesus is saying. And also deep contemplation, you know, where am I doing well in following Jesus in his teachings? And where am I falling short? And what can I do about that? And in each place, Jesus is giving um, transformative initiatives that you can put into practice on a daily basis. He does that for, for each section, um, each point that he is making. Um, he starts off um, after he gives his introduction of you know, what the character of his disciples should be. Uh, he has a, you know, this kind of a three-part method that he uses throughout. Uh, the first part is the religious cultural norm. What is expected? Uh, what people take for granted? And then Jesus has the higher way, what he actually expects of his followers, and then he gives in the third part things that you can actually do um, to apply that. And so let's read verses 7 through 12, and then we'll pray and talk about this section here. And so it says in Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the goodness that it is um, in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand it today, to apply it to our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate teacher, that you have given us uh, your clear expectations for our lives. Help us uh, to strive to follow you in every way to build our lives on you. But Lord, we also know that to attempt to do that without relationship with you, without walking with you day by day, um, is futile and would only lead uh, to a prideful heart. Um, any success would ultimately result in greater failure. Uh, so Lord, we need you uh, day by day. Uh, we need you, and please remind us this morning of our need for you. Draw close to us, help us to draw close to you, and to walk step by step with you each day. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, first, the religious cultural norm when it comes to asking 
um, things of God or even from another person. But the, the normal things that we attempt to do in our relationships, whether it's relationship with God or with other people, the normal um, perspective of the sinful flesh is to attempt to manipulate others or to manipulate God for our own benefit. Uh, that's, the, that's the norm. You know, and, and we know that this is a normal thing because you know, what do people do? What's the natural thing to do when you, when you need something? You know, I mean, is, you know, a person can go you know, a week, a month, a year without talking to God, but then some sort of you know, major event happens, and then it's like, God, I need you to do X for me. Please, I will, you know, I will follow you now. I will do, if you give me this, then I will A, B, C, D. You know, and it's an t- attempt to manipulate God into giving you something. And we do that same sort of thing also in, you know, relationships with just other human beings. It is natural in the human heart to want to manipulate God and to manipulate others for what one perceives is a benefit to oneself. That's a natural thing. So Jesus' higher standard, his higher way for his disciples, is just to ask, to seek, to knock, because your Father in heaven is good. Your Father in heaven is, in, in heaven is good, so you can just ask, you can seek, you can knock. Because he's good. You don't have to manipulate God. And then how do we practically apply that to result in a transformed life? Well, we change our mind about how we think about God. That's the first thing. To see him as good. And then the second thing in in verse 12 we have is to do unto others, to practice this, to do unto others what you want others to do to you. Take out that manipulation and instead be a servant to other people. So we need to ask this question at the beginning, you know, what is closer to your view of God? If on one end of the spectrum you have a demanding tyrant who's just looking for an excuse to punish you, and on the other end of the spectrum you have an extravagant gift giver who desires to bless you. What is where on the spectrum do you see God? Which way do you move and you know and lean towards that? You know, a, a God who is a tyrant who's looking for a gotcha game, just waiting for you to mess up so that he can crush you, have an excuse to? Or do you view him as an extravagant gift giver who's looking to bless your life? Or somewhere, you know, in between. I don't think it's necessarily you're at one pole or at the other pole, but how we view God, you know, is important. And, and we know from the whole of Scripture that, you know, we do need to see God as holy. Yes, God, you know, is the judge. But if you are in reli- right relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, then you don't, you know, live in fear of the judgment of, of God anymore. You've gone from, you know, outside of His family to part of His family. And that's an important thing because we need to understand scripturally, biblically, you know, from God's perspective, you know, God owns us all because he made us. But it's sin that also does separate us from him and from his presence and from the goodness 
all the goodness that he has to offer, but yet he's still good to us because even in our sinfulness, what did we read earlier in the book of Matthew that God causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust? That God's common grace is available. And we see that in God's goodness, even for those who are wicked in heart, Jesus, like me and like you, Jesus died on the cross for us and paid our debts. I think actually as we look at the whole of Scripture, we can see that the last thing that God wants to do is to punish us. Yet He does so because, and when He has to, because of His holiness, because of His righteousness, His goodness. But that's not His go-to first option. He, you know, you look at His relationship with Israel, He is not like just always desiring to punish them. No, he says things like, I would, how would, you know, I would love for you to repent. You know, won't you repent and be saved from that punishment? Jesus, even as he overlooks the city of Jerusalem, says, as a mother hen gathers in her chicks, you know, I would gather you in, but you would not. You know, and so when people, you know, are under the judgment of God, it is because they have fought against God because they have rejected His grace and His goodness and His love. But yet, even those of us who have come to believe in Jesus, who are children of God, who are are freed from the penalty of sin and freed from the power of sin, can still have this view of God that he's just out to get us. As opposed to that he's a good heavenly father looking to bless us. That desires to bless us. And so the first thing we need to do if we have a, a wrong perspective is to change our mind you know, about God. And, and, and I want to be careful with that because I don't want us to lose our respect. And you know, in, you know I, I think things tend to go on a pendulum swing back and forth to two far of extremes. And so you end up on one extreme, you know, where the, the holiness of God is emphasized to the point of removing God's love. But then on the other extreme, the love of God gets emphasized to the point of removing his holiness. And so then in those sorts of situations, God's just like, you know, any other dude, you know, buddy, buddy. And you can talk to him just however you want. Use whatever words you want. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, even use his name flippantly or in vain, and it's not a big deal. Well, no, we still have to respect and have reverence for God because he is holy and he is great. And we need to understand, yes, he's made us part of his family, and yes, we are you know, extremely blessed by him, but... We are not on par with him. We are still below him. We didn't, you know, we are we are not we are not God, put it simply. And we are not an equal with God. And so we need to remember our, our proper place um, in that. And in all things. You know, usually the extremes are going to lead you awry. It's going to lead you and it's going to put you in the wrong place. Um, And so, but again, 
God is good as we see Jesus says to us that your God that God is good and desires to give us good gifts. Now, he tells us that if if we he says if in verse 11 if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Um, that word evil there it's used, that same word is used several times in the same sermon as evil and other times as bad. Um, like if your eye is bad or if your eye is evil, you could translate it kind of either way. Uh, you know, for us, evil is a really, you know, harsh kind of, kind of word, kind of an extreme word. Say a person is bad is a little bit less than a person is evil, right? You know, and just how we use our English, you know, language. Um, I don't want to soften what Jesus is saying here because already in his message, he's talked about the lust in the heart, you know, the murder in the heart, you know, that and he's, as he's talking to his audience, you know, people who have adultery in their hearts and murder in their hearts. I mean, it's not wrong to call the, that evil. It's not wrong to call us apart from Christ evil, you know, because again, in our culture, in our world, you know, we want to have more well, people are naturally good. Well, that's not the picture that Jesus gives. Um, you know, we actually, I think, come to understand that the only ways to to reduce evil in the world is one through a relationship with God. That's the best way. But two, if you if you, if you take if you don't have that, then you have to have laws that give an order to society that are enforced that are. That, that keep evil from just running rampant. Because what you find in cultures where there's, there aren't repercussions for evil, you have, more, you have more evil. You know, where there aren't repercussions, any repercussions at all, you know, for murder, you have more murders. That's one of the huge issues, you know, we do our, our work in Mexico, and you know, look at Mexico and Central America, and the number of murders that are actually ever brought to trial or prosecuted, I mean, it's just a tiny, tiny percentage. person committing the murder knows that they will largely get away with it. They'll get away with it, you know, 90-sometimes out of 100. So there's no repercussion, not even going to jail for it. So therefore, you know, people are, are more prone to commit that act. Um, so... And, and you have in cultures, you know, what we see is if you remove God and if you remove law, if you don't have either, then you just have chaos in the human condition. Um, and, and we know that evil begets evil because of the, the simple element of revenge. Well, they did this to my family, and so I'm going to do this back to, and it just, you know, people that even, you know, left to, a neutral environment wouldn't participate in the evil, but when evil is done to them, they're usually going to respond in kind. Okay, and so it just becomes a mess. Um, so, in any case, I think we can clearly say that if you, being morally deficient, still know how to give good gifts to your children. You know, and you see this even in people who we would say were tyrants or were truly wicked people. If you know they had children, they still usually did nice things for their children. I mean, not always, 
But there's still, you know, people who are really, really wicked are still capable of giving good gifts to other people that they like. Like, they're still capable of that. So if in that scenario, or even just, you know, regular people who are still morally deficient know how to give good gifts to their children that, you know, give bread when the child asks for bread and not a stone, or when the child asks for a fish, doesn't give them a serpent, you know, something that will harm them, or something that doesn't do them any good, like, how much more is God going to give good things to those who ask him? So what do we need to know about our asking? We've got five things here that we should know about our asking. The first is that we need to ask for what is good according to the will of God. This is scriptural, 1 John five fourteen. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, So we need to strive to ask according to the will of God. Well, how do we, how do we know the will of God? I mean, the, the, the reality is that when we're far away from God, we tend to ask for things that are manipulative and selfish. You know, things that we just want or need, okay, when we're far away from God. But when we're close to God in our walk with Him, we are much more likely to ask things according to His will because we are close to His heart. If you are close to God's heart, then you are going to ask according to His will, right? You know, if you're far away from his heart, then you're not going to be in tune with what his will is. So you're going to tend to not to ask things according to that. So walking closely with God is kind of a prerequisite to asking things according to the will of God. The second thing, so with that, as we just flow right into that, we need to be living for his purposes, 1 John 3.22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Again, we, I, we know what to ask for when we're living according to the ways of, of Jesus. The third one, we need to ask in the name of Jesus, John 14.13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 16, 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Um, ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. So, you know, Jesus asks us to ask in his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. You know, and, and sometimes I think how we pray, a lot of times how we pray is just like a habit of how we learned to pray, you know, when we, when we were little or whenever we started praying. You know, we, we develop patterns. You develop patterns with anything that you do, right? I mean, most everyone, you know, has a pattern when they wake up in the morning. There's certain things that they do, and you tend to do those in a particular, you know, order, a particular way before you leave the house to go to work or go to school or whatever it is. You know, there's, a, there's all sorts of things in life that have, you know, a pattern. You go to, you play an instrument. You know, when you go and, and, and prepare to play that instrument, there's usually going to be a pattern that you do, even though you probably don't even realize that you do the same thing every time you sit down with a guitar or sit down at the keyboard. Or the, you do the same thing every time you prepare to play a sport. All right, you do the same thing, you, you know, whatever it is. You, you could go on with those examples. Um, so in our prayer life, we tend to pray 
sometimes in patterns without examining what is your pattern of prayer. So if you want to know your pattern of prayer, I mean, you know, nowadays we have these little tools like a, a phone that has a voice record or whatever. You know, and just record a few mornings in a row, just record your prayer and just make a, I mean, just like, just pray like you normally would, but record it and then go back and listen to it. And what does it sound like? What are things you pray for? What are patterns that you use? You know, and what are are your habits? We all have them. But then I, you know, something to consider there is, you know, do you regularly pray in, in the name of Jesus? And, and really, this isn't like a preference thing, or what I like or don't like or whatever. Jesus just told us, you know, to ask in his name, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You know, it's like, well, if I, I mean, <laughs> again, we're not here for the purposes of manipulation, but I, I know that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Certainly, I want to pray according to the one who has the power to grant my request. The fourth thing is that we need to be persistent in our asking. Um, you'll find pretty much the exact same um, words that we have here in Matthew 7, uh, 7 through um, 11, and Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. But before giving that same instruction, um, in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5, he says, you know, And Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And so Jesus is using that as an example of just that there's a power in persistence. You know, there's a power in persistence in anything, you know, in, in life that I think that Jesus wants us to understand. Jesus wants his followers not just to give up when things get hard. You know, he wants us to pursue, especially if it's something according to the will of God. You know, he wants to pursue that and to be persistent, you know, in it. I mean, Jesus knows in in terms of his church being built, in terms of the good news of Jesus going out into, you know, all the world, that there are going to be obstacles, that there's going to be opposition, that it's going to be difficult. His people are going to need to be persistent. So if you're trying to reach, whether it's an individual or a family or a community, you know, a city, a country, you go, Lord, we would ask, you know, for you to work among this person or these people. And to pray at once, you know, to share at once, oh, well, I didn't get a good response, and then go away the other way. Well, if, if that's how it worked, if that's how, how it went, then we today in this room probably would have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. We have heard the good news of Jesus Christ because people before us in generations and centuries past have been persistent in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. When it was difficult, when people didn't want to hear it, when it cost them their lives. That they kept on being persistent and they kept asking God to work and to move. 
that they didn't grow weary in doing good. And as the scripture says, in due time, you know, they reaped the, the harvest of that. So, we of all people in the world, as fathers of Jesus, should be the ones who are persistent. The ones who don't give up easily. I mean, yes, there are times where we have to listen to God's direction of like, okay, God closed that door and therefore we need to go a different way. But until it's clear that God is the one who closed the door, you be persistent. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep working, keep doing what needs to be done. Uh, And that's a a lesson there that I think that we we all need to take um, to heart, that we don't uh, we're not people who give up easy, and um, we need to pray for that. Um, so let's look again here. As Jesus has given these, uh, his instruction to us, that there's another important thing, and I think we've, you know, we've, we've already touched on it, but really need to hammer it home, uh, that if, if we're asking for selfish motives, we shouldn't expect to receive anything. You know, we can't use this Matthew 7... Yeah, again, it's abusive scripture, just like we talked about last week with the judging passages. You know, you can say, judge not that you be not judged. So then anytime anybody says, hey, brother or hey, sister, you know, you might have a speck in your eye. Well, the scripture says, don't judge me, you know, and then you're never accountable for anything. Like that's a manipulation and an abuse of the scripture. That's not Jesus' intention. So, you know, here we can do the same thing. Well, I asked for it. The scripture says, ask, knock, <laughs> you know, seek, and, and you'll receive it, right? So, I mean, I asked for it. Okay, but what was the motivation? What was the heart uh, behind it? James chapter 4, verse, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So James is saying you have the wrong heart, wrong attitude. You're only asking for it. For your, just because it benefits, you know, your selfish, sinful desires. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I could just give an extreme example of this: a married man saying, "You know, Lord, give me, you know, a different, beautiful woman." Well, I mean, I asked for it, I knocked. You know, why haven't? You know, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, I mean, that's obviously an an abuse of scripture, right? Um, and so we, we have to begin to be careful that we're not, um, you know, we, we need to take Jesus literally, but not literally to the point that we make a mockery of what he's saying. That would obviously be making a mockery of what he's saying to us. So we need to ask um, according to his will and to his way. So then, in verse 12, Jesus tells us um, the golden rule. But before we get into that, I do want to make just one note. In the Luke passage, Jesus says, um, How much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here in Matthew 7, it's more of a general asking. Um, Again, you know, some people take the Luke and the Matthew passage as like the same message that Jesus gives. I don't view it, personally, I don't view it that way. I think they're two very different, separate messages, separate contexts, um, that Jesus is a traveling preacher. He probably gave you know, this message 
um, in various forms and emphasizing various points, depending on the audience, you know, many different times. You know, and if you if you hear a traveling preacher, usually their message is going to be very good. Now, Jesus is the best teacher ever, so it's it's different. But even a traveling, like if you're a traveling preacher, their message is usually going to be really good because they've given that same message, you know, a lot of different times. It's different than the person preaching to the same audience all the time. You know, you you, like okay, we've heard that same message a hundred times or whatever. you know, you have to mix it up a little bit more if you're preaching at the same place. But the person who's preaching all over the world or in a region of a country, you know, they can preach the same. You know, they might have five messages for the year and hone those very well. And, and depending on the context and the situation, give those. I think Jesus probably had more than that. Uh, but you know he wants to emphasize the same things. And particularly when it comes to expectations for his disciples, you know, he's going to hammer that time and time again, you know, whether he's in Capernaum or, you know, some other, other place, right? Uh, so that's just how that's going to go. Um, so specifically, though, from the Luke passage, we can ask that the Holy Spirit's work and power, um, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, of, of power that our our brothers and sisters in Christ would be as well. I mean, that's probably the first thing that we should be, you know, asking for then is that the power of, of the spirit of God would be at work at us and at work in others around us. But obviously it's also okay to ask about other things according to the will of God as the situations, you know, are needed. But I love the praying for the Holy spirit because what we're admitting in that is my personal power isn't enough to change these situations the way that they need to be changed. I need the power of God at work in people's hearts and people's situations. You know, and I think that that's something, you know, for myself, even, you know, when there's a problem, my go-to is how can I solve that? Like, what are the practical things that I, I need to do? And, you know, sometimes you get further down the road and then realize, okay, well, that's too big of a problem for me to handle. I need God's. I need God to do this, right? But better for us if, right from the get-go, we say, "This is too big. We need." And or even if it's, say, it's something that's not that big, how much better is it still if it's the presence of God that's at work and moving through the situation than just our human efforts to change a, a scenario? Okay, so we need the power of God at work. So with this, we've, we've already seen that we've asked God to do the good things to those, uh, you know, God desires to do good things to those who ask him. So we're asking God to do good things. And then that also should change our outlook on life. Verse 12. These are connected. He says, therefore... <laughs> Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We know this as the golden rule, you know, that to do unto others is um, you would have them do unto you. But it's connected here. Jesus says it's connected, not isolated. It is connected to our prayer life and to understanding the goodness of God in our lives. It's understanding that God has given us life, He's given us, you know, if we're part of his family, 
<laughs> through faith in Jesus Christ that you know, he's given us eternal life. He's given us an eternal home with him. He's given us the scriptures. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the church. I mean, he's given us a lot. Right? He has given us a lot. And we remember that when we take the bread and cup each Sunday. We remember all the good that God has given to us. Through the cross. Through the resurrection of Jesus. So then that should inform us that how we want to be treated by others, we should certainly do for others. That we should be proactive in doing that for others. And then he says, for this is the law and the prophets. What does that mean that this is the law and the prophets? You know, it means that this is the heart of the Old Testament teaching. The heart of the Old Testament teaching, as Jesus you know, taught us, is sum- summarized in love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So here the emphasis is on because God's goodness and love is so great in your life, then you're going to want to do good to other people. We need to consider what's best for others, what we want others to do for us. So we can take, for example, um, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 1, 16 through 18. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we see these are the expectations God has for us in terms of doing good for our our neighbor. If we continue in the New Testament, James 4, 17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So, you know, it's, it's considering, I know this is my neighbor. I know this is what my neighbor needs. You know, if I have the power to help my neighbor and I don't help my neighbor, what does the scripture say about that? It says that that's actually sinful. You know, it's, there, there are sins of commission, you know, things that we do, and there are sins of omission. This is Jesus, to, well, the scripture here, the, through the Holy Spirit, is telling us about sins of omission. When we know the right thing to do, you know, we're prompted by the teachings of Jesus and the Spirit of God to do it, and we just say no. That that is a sin. It's a sin of not doing. A sin of not acting. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Now in that, you know, Jesus and the, the, the apostles are realistic. Even earlier, Jesus says, you know, God knows that you need food and clothing. Right? God knows that you have these basic needs. He's not saying, don't take any care for yourself. He's, he's not saying, you know, make yourself in a destitute situation. Help others to the point of making yourself in a destitute situation so that then you're dependent on others to help you. He's not saying that. But he is saying to be sacrificial. To not just look out for what is good for yourself, but both for yourselves and for all. So it's that, that balance of things. And then Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Um, 
He says, therefore, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. To do good and to share are sacrifices that God is pleased with. But but we need to remember and understand that there is a sacrifice that is expected. You know, and, and I think that a lot of times we're okay to give whatever as long as there's not any real sacrifice involved. We're okay to give whatever as long as it doesn't actually change anything for us. We get to do all the things we would do anyway. And I would just want to challenge myself and all of us this morning to think a little bit more deeply, you know, about that. About that. Now, the last question I have for us this morning, we'll close with this thought. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Um, you know, and, and, you, and with that, you put yourselves in different scenarios. And then ask, if I was in that scenario, what would I want others to do for me? You know, practically, rationally, you know, not like hey, I, I want just like a lottery ticket or I'd want somebody to give me a winning lottery ticket or something like that, you know, but realistically. And so if I'm in a situation where I don't know Jesus, I don't know about him truly, I, I maybe know his name, but I don't really know what he's done for me. If I'm living in, in my sin, what, do I, what would I want if I had inf- the information, you know, if I, if I understood my need, what would I want others to do for me? Well, I mean, obviously, I'd, I want them to take the time, the effort, the struggle to share the good news of Jesus with me, right? I mean, isn't that what we would all want if you're sitting there in your life without connection with your Creator, you would want people to try to help you have a connection with your creator. That's, just, that's one of those just logical, practical things. You know, and based, you know, I'm not, this isn't just like my opinion, because as Matthew is writing this whole book you know, with a theme and with a purpose from beginning to end, and he ends it with Jesus' words to go into all the world. Go, which is be proactive, not wait for others to come but to go and to make disciples you know, of all the families of the earth. Like, go and do that. And, it's, and that's one of those things, like, wherever you are, go and do that. Be open to wherever God takes you, but again, you know, some of you are like, well, maybe, I'm not sure if, if God wants me to be a missionary overseas. Well, I don't know. But I know God wants you to be a missionary right here where you are. Today. Tomorrow, as many days as you have here in this place, as long as this part of Georgia is your home, make a point to share Jesus with whoever, and there's people from all over the world here too, so that's kind of a benefit. And they go back and take that with them. But wherever you are is where you should be sharing Jesus with other people. Wherever I am is where I need to be sharing Jesus with other people. Because that's what... Loving your neighbor, that's the greatest love for your neighbor. 
It's the greatest love for your neighbor. Because all the other situations of life are temporal, temporary situations. And obviously, as the scripture instructs us to do, and we have a heart to do, we want to help with those very practical needs. This is, a, this is an eternal need. And it has to have our first priority in our prayers, in our efforts, in our work. That, that needs to be our first priority. Now, with that, we would also say we can't share the gospel with people who have died because of diseases that are curable. Can't share the, people with, you know, the gospel with people that we can't get to because they're being held in slavery in a brick kiln somewhere. You, know, you can't share Jesus with them. When they don't, you know, when they're so hungry that they can't think. Right? So, obviously those practical things get, need to happen. But in that, we have to remember and keep at the forefront, our greatest human need is Jesus. What I need more than food, what I need more than anything, is Jesus. Now, where I get messed up, where my life gets tripped up, where your life gets tripped up, is when we get so comfortable that we don't think our greatest need is Jesus. That we actually don't think we have needs. That's where we really mess up. But my, when I have that in the forefront of my mind, my greatest need is Jesus, and therefore my neighbor's greatest need is Jesus. And to act accordingly. With that will obviously come, if you care about their greatest need, you should, then by default, I think you're going to end up caring, maybe not by default, but by purpose, by the Holy Spirit, Word of God in you, and the truth of the Scriptures, you're going to care about those other things as well. You're going to care to seek justice, to rebuke the oppressor, to defend the fatherless, to plead for the widow. You're going to care to do justly, to love mercy. But in that, We have to walk humbly with our God day by day and see every neighbor's need, whether rich, middle middle class, poor, whatever level of education, whatever else is going on in their life, greatest need is Jesus. That's our greatest need, is Jesus. Because he's the one who ultimately changes everything in us. Changes our heart, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He's the one who changes our eternal destiny. He's the one who, when he changes us, gives us the power to create change around us. So as we seek to create positive change in our families, in our communities, in our neighbors, throughout the world, we have to walk with our Savior and King if we're going to do that. We have to walk day by day with Him. So may God help us to do so. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We praise you. We thank you for this day you've given to us, God, for your love for us. We pray that as we Um, have our our open time and as we take the bread and the cup that we would do so with full hearts of thanksgiving for all that you've given to us. Um, Lord, that you've given us, Father, you've given us your son. 
You've given us the word. You've given us opportunity um, to impact the lives of other people. Uh, Lord, we are truly blessed. We have truly already received so much. But even still, Lord, help us to be bold in knowing that you are good and help us to be bold in asking for more. Lord, help us not to be content when you have offered more. Lord, um, we give praise and glory to your name today. In your name, Jesus. Mm -hmm.